Welcome back. I'm Daniel Snyder. And today we're joined by Brad Thomas to discuss the stress in the banking sector and what it means for the real estate industry, as well as REITs. We get his take on if someone should pick the JEPI ETF or Schwab's SCHD ETF if they're looking for dividend yield, and you're not going to want to miss what he said about that. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave a rating or review on your platform of choice. It helps us keep making these episodes for you. Now let's get to the interview. All right, so this is a real joy to have the man with over 108,000 followers on Seeking Alpha joining the podcast today. Brad, how's it going? No problem, Daniel. It's great to be on. And uh, yeah, 108,000, it's, it's hard to believe, but uh, I appreciate every, every one of them. So Brad, can I ask you to just maybe give a one to two minute intro for the people that don't know who you are? How did you get into investing and what do you do now? Sure. So, um, you know, I started uh, really early, early age. Um, my, my, my mother was in real estate, so I kind of watched her sell houses for through uh, middle school and high school and um, uh, decided, I guess, when I was in college, I wanted to get into real estate. It's always been a, uh, a, a an interesting uh, asset class. And, uh, so I got my real estate license at a very young age. I was 17, uh, and, um, just my freshman year in, in, in college. And, um, and so I'll give you the reader's digest version is I spent 20 years or over 20 years, maybe 25 years as a real estate developer. I started small and built, I actually bought some, some townhouses and some duplexes and then, uh, convinced, a, a, a banker to lend me money to build my first advanced auto parts store. Uh, that time they were privately held uh, company in less than a hundred locations in the Carolinas up to Roanoke, Virginia, where they were where they were based. And so I started to build stores across the southeast for them. It was uh, you know really a good way for me to learn about um, how to acquire real estate and and hire architects and engineers, negotiate leases, which is a very critical part of the value creation process. And so. Uh, and, and also to sell these properties and create that full liquidity event, which is what, what I was uh, doing. So did that for a number of years, uh, built over 50 stores for advanced auto parts. And then I went to O'Reilly Auto Parts and moved up to Dollar General and Family Dollar and uh, Blockbuster Video at the time. Some of you may not remember Blockbuster, but I certainly do. Uh, and I watched the evolution of that industry. Uh, it was really interesting to watch. And uh and I built a number of restaurants, uh, Outback, Applebee's, uh, Waffle House, uh, IHOP, uh, and then I moved into shopping centers. And uh, I learned that you know you can, much like cell towers, by the way, where you can take you know a core tenant and add more revenue to that existing uh, to the property and create uh, you know higher returns and higher higher profit margins. So I went into grocery stores, started building uh, you know grocery anchored centers. And then Walmart was kind of the, the, the peak of, of it all, where I put together a mixed-use master plan community. Took me a couple of years to build it all out. But uh, anyway, so that was that was the extent of it. But I learned a lot of different property sectors, Daniel, and that gave me exposure to a lot of different things. Industrial, I built for some of the uh, BMW suppliers in my in my hometown of Spartanburg, South Carolina. Um, and uh, my, my business partner actually built golf courses and hotels. And so it was really fascinating just to see all the different property sectors and how you could, you know, create value. And so when the Great Recession hit, which uh, now has uh, been a, almost a distant memory, um, but uh, that was a really a tough time for me because I was actually unwinding a, a partnership, uh, which was kind of very difficult, very stra straining to my relationship uh, to, and uh, to my family as well. But then the Great Recession, and, and that's when basically everything shut down, uh, all the banks 
most of them closed, which is really interesting now that we're seeing some some uh, elevated bank closures today. But I, I you know I was right there on the on the on the on the you know ground floor of, of all of that and uh, watching all these banks fail. Um, and and then of course I landed on Seeking Alpha. Uh, and I wish I knew exactly how I landed on Seeking Alpha, but it really doesn't matter. I did. It's probably one of the best things, Daniel, that I ever did. Um, and, um, you know, uh, and here I am today, you know, 108,000 followers and uh, I don't know, 13 years. Uh, my kids have grown up on Seeking Alpha. So, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely been a, been a, been a uh, really a fun time to, to do, you know, to, to be in this business and to build a, uh, such, a such a unique uh, platform. Uh, of course, our team, uh, we have two products at, at Seeking Alpha. I read on Alpha is our re-coverage re business. Then we have our Dividend Kings business, which covers really the entire dividend growth universe. So it's really exciting that we've been able to assemble that. And I've got some great friendships uh, on Seeking Alpha. And again, I want to thank you again and your company for uh, Seeking Alpha for allowing me to be part of that community. So I've got to ask you, you went from all this real estate development. How did you get started with reinvesting and building out this product? Yeah. So, um, you know, when I was a developer, um, and by the way, I'm still a real estate investor. I'm actually doing some pretty large projects now on the private side. But when I was you know, a private real estate developer, I would sell some of these properties to REITs. Um, so I would attend various conferences. There was a a big one that was called the uh, International Council of Shopping Centers uh, Annual Recon Conference. It was uh, based in Las Vegas. And I would go walk through this conference. I was in my, in my 20s at the time, even my early 20s, right out of college. And, and I was just amazed to see these huge booths with these big REITs, a Kimco and a Simon Property Group and Taubman. I would just walk around and just be mesmerized by you know, how much money they, they were spending on not only the booths, but just the whole conference. Uh, they would, they would hire, uh, you know, companies or people, you know, people like Aretha Franklin and, and just some really big names to come in and put parties and all this. And, and, and frankly, had I, had I seen all that, you know, I would have probably been able to predict, you know, the great recession because this, this was the, the wave of retail that I was right there on the ground floor. Uh, I built one of the first Home Depot shopping centers ever in South Carolina and kind of witness the, the evolution of the retail business. And so that's how I knew about REITs. I, I you know, was exposed to them. I ended up selling some of the properties, especially some of the shopping centers I had developed and, and the uh, net lease properties to, to some REITs, like Realty Income, which by the way, is now my largest holding. And I uh, just wrote an article in Seeking Alpha on Realty Income. Uh, but that's where I got to know about, you know, these, these REITs. And the fact that you know, they had just dominating scale and they had dominant cost of capital. I mean, as a, as a small town developer, there was no way that I could compete, you know, with a REIT. Um, and, um, and, and in terms of the, the you know, the, the checks that they would write. And um, so um, anyway, so that's how I got exposed to the business. And, uh, you know, now uh, having kind of gone full circle and being on both sides, you know, I would, I, I'll tell you, REITs are, are just absolutely, I'm, I'm, I'm probably the biggest cheerleader uh, on the planet with REITs, but I will say, I mean, it's, it, you know, it's, uh, they do have pretty good management teams, not all, and there are certainly times when we do call out management uh, when they aren't uh, doing things right, uh, but, but for the, for the large part, you know, we've got some really good management teams, and of course, these, you know, unlike when I was a developer, private owner, you know, I would have to deal with all the headaches, the 
you know, the, the, the roof leaks and the toilet, toilet uh, leaks or breakdowns and, and collecting rent uh, and, and, and evicting tenants and all of those things, that's, that's tough. I mean, being a landlord is not an easy task. And so, um, you know, owning REITs is really a lot better vehicle, especially for the individual or average investor. Um, so, yeah, I, I really think it's, uh, I learned a lot. Uh, I know this business from the ground up. And, and now that I spend an awful lot of time with management teams, I interview CEOs almost every day. And, and you can see a lot of that content at iReal and Alpha, where we publish a lot of video CEOs uh, interviews. And, and that's been a really valuable part of not only our platform at iRead on Alpha, but just for me personally, to be able to uh, interact with, with management teams on a regular basis. Because oftentimes, Daniel, I'll, I may not learn as much about that specific company, but I might learn something or, or find some clues about one of their competitors that may prevent me from buying shares or from, from you know, uh, making me want to buy shares. So it's, it's, it's really good to have the, uh, you know, the, the kind of this, this, big circle of, of, of people that we have sources that we can uh, go to for different uh, different articles and different research reports. So being so intertwined with real estate and knowing how that that sector is in such a partnership with banking, are you worried about the stress going on in the banking sector right now? You know, that's a great question. I was actually on the phone last night with a, a one of my sources who actually used to work at Credit Suisse. Uh, and he told me, he said, uh, he said, Brad, first of all, you know, Credit Suisse has been bailed out at least three times already. Um, they're not well run. Um, he mentioned UBS. He also had worked at UBS. He said that's, that's a similar story there. Um, what was, I found this interesting. He said that any bank who has the, the country name on it is not going to fail. I actually posted this on Twitter last night, you know, with, with Credit Suisse and, you know, Credit Suisse has the name, the country name there. Guess what? They're getting bailed out. I just saw that on Seeking Alpha this morning. Um, and, you know, Bank of America, too big to fail. America's name is in that, you know, it's not going to fail. Uh, so I thought that was kind of a humorous way to put it. Uh, but I think Credit Suisse suffers from some really poor management um, they've had. Uh, they obviously have, have been bailed out. Um, but they just haven't been a, a very solid bank. Um, of course, we cover the banking sector here as well on Dividend Kings, and uh, we've recommended a number of a number of banks. But um, you know, I think there'll definitely be some some more fallout. Um, I, I see fallout in terms of uh, some buying opportunities. Frankly, I don't think we're going to see as many um, as many. You know, I, I, I know we're definitely not going to see the the bank closures that I saw. And you did too in 2008 and 2009. Uh, but uh, it's been a wake up call. And frankly, for me and for our team, um, we, we've decided, look, you know, we need to stress test uh, our portfolios. Let's, let's be proactive here. Let's look at these lessons learned that we've seen with uh, Silicon Valley and, 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 and Credit Suisse and Signature Bank. Uh, and let's go ahead and be proactive and stress test our revenue model. Let's look at our, our base. Let's look at those tenants uh, that are in these REIT portfolios or these BDC uh, portfolios or these midstream portfolios. Um, and, and let's make sure that these this income is stress tested because the large majority of our customers, Daniel, are income investors. You know, they're coming to us because they want a very steady and growing stream of dividend income because we all know the secret 
uh, to, to sleeping well at night. And that is to have a very reliable, predictable uh, income stream. So that's one of the things that we're looking at here very closely and stress testing our, our picks. Brad, let me ask you, what has been your biggest takeaway so far this year within listening to re-earning calls and talking to these CEOs that you're interviewing? Yeah, I think, look, the biggest big, uh, takeaway is that the, you know, when we, when we enter January, I mean, everybody was feeling pretty good about the market and, and REITs in general. And of course, you know, with the uh, accelerated rate increases that we're seeing, it's been a record, we've seen record increases um, in rates. And that is impactful, not only to REITs, but any, any, any company is going to see their debt uh, increase. So there's been half, we're having to adjust to that and we've had to reprice uh, a lot of the companies. Uh, we just recently went through our entire coverage spectrum here at iRead on Alpha to look at all of our target prices, our trim prices. Um, you know, what we found in the first quarter, now that that's over, um, is which is actually the, I guess, the fourth quarter results and year end results. Um, but what we found out is that. Um, you know, most of these companies are are having to um, um, look very closely at their earnings in 23 and make these adjustments because their debt levels have gone up. Now, what, what's really interesting, though, Daniel, and this is really the big takeaway that I've seen, is that while while debt uh, has increased for, for most all REITs, um, it's really putting more strain on those uh, on those higher leveraged REITs. Um, and not so much on the REITs that are investment grade rated. Um, and cap rates are beginning to adjust very quickly to this paradigm. And so I think, and certainly like in the net lease sector, um, you're, you're not seeing um, um, the same you know, investment spreads that you would see, say, six months ago or 12 months ago. Uh, but, but we're still seeing pretty wide spreads. For example, uh, Realty Income, again, I just wrote on that company and Beachy Properties, another one I just wrote on. Uh, they have uh, adapted to uh, cap rates. They're not buying, for example, Realty Income is not buying at cap rates of around 6% today. They're now moving up to that, say, 7% range. Obviously, their cost of capital has gone up as well, but they're still able to generate investment spreads in the you know roughly 125 to 150 basis point range. Uh, and that, that allows the company to continue to grow externally and, and, and then not forgetting the internal growth drivers. I know they're modest, but uh, realty income does have rent bumps and these other net lease REITs do have these rent bumps. And so those levered returns are somewhere closer to 2% a year. So uh, even with no acquisitions, these companies continue to, to can continue to grow. And um, so, yeah, I think that's the big thing is just really, we've had to adjust to that, but the, the sell-off has been, uh, uh, excessive, and that's obviously created some some buying opportunities. But again, I, I think you know, as I've always said uh, here on Seeking Alpha, I just uh, is no it's not the time to be too cute to try to go in and buy these companies that yield you know 12, 13, 14 percent. Um, I think there's a lot more pain ahead, especially for these companies that have uh, pretty highly levered balance sheets. I feel like we already know the answer, but I got to ask you anyways. What is your favorite REIT for the next quarter or for the rest of this year? Yeah, so, you know, again, I like realty income, but again, they have the size advantage uh, and the cost of capital advantage, but uh, that doesn't mean they're the best companies to own. Uh, they've still got to go out and acquire properties. They did guide for $5 billion this year. I think that's ultra conservative. 
I think they'll end up doing um, probably closer to 10 billion. Uh, they did 9 billion uh, in uh, in 22, uh, but realty income is not my, not what I would call my my best pick right now. It would be Vici Properties. Vici has been had an incredible run. Uh, of course, they they came out of Caesars when Caesars went bankrupt. Uh, Vici was formed basically as a as a holding company or a REIT for those assets. So these were master leased uh, to to Caesars. And by the way, Caesars credit has approved immensely uh, over the years. And uh, Vici's been the fastest growing, you know, REIT uh, that I've ever seen, frankly. And, and not, I'm, this goes all the way back to, you know, uh, you know, 20 years uh, or, or longer. Uh, Vici came out and uh, they became an S&P 500 uh, company uh, faster than any REIT that I've ever seen um, uh, grow. And of course, a large part of that was the MGM uh, growth properties, but they, they have continued to, to produce uh, and scale this business and and grow their their uh, adjusted funds from operations um, and so and, and improve their cost of capital their investment grade rating now rated and and moving into other markets they announced uh, recently they're going into they're in Canada and they're potentially going into Europe so I think it's op it opens up for Vici a lot more opportunity uh, not only in the gaming sector but just other other different experiential sectors. Daniel, I think one of the big things that I think is really interesting, though, is, and, and this is something that I think investors are really missing, it, it's not only the REITs that are, that are having to you know, deal with this uh, you know, higher uh, debt cost, it's just corporate America. I mean, a lot of these companies uh, are seeing their debt increase. Uh, in, the, in the recent article I mentioned, Vici and Six Flags, um, I've been you know, talking about Six Flags now since 2018, 2019. And uh, uh, last year, there was an activist uh, building, uh, Jonathan Litt, building and land company, who also uh, got pretty vocal with Six Flags, uh, recognizing that there's considerable real estate underneath these amusement parks uh, that could be monetized uh, in, in terms of a sell leaseback. And the point here I want to make is uh, Six Flags has some debt coming due in, in, in 24, 25, 26, and it's fairly significant debt. And when that has to be repriced, that's certainly going to put more strain on their earnings. And so I think now is the time for companies like Six Flags and many, many others, Daniel. I think this is going to really create this high interest rate market, you know, where a lot of people fear could hurt, you know, some of these dominant uh, REITs, especially the net lease REITs. Companies like Vici and Realty Income are in a great position because they can capitalize on those, uh, on that real estate that these corporations own. Uh, because their debt cost is now uh, much higher, and it's easier to transact uh, more a uh, you know seven percent uh, cap rate on their real estate, so they can reinvest in their core businesses like Six Flags. They can they can invest in their amusement parks or pay down debt or buy back shares. A number of levers that they can pull. So I, I do think that that's one of the missing things I'm seeing out there is it's not only the REITs, it's it's these companies, and it's going to create more demand. In fact, I would even call a catalyst for for these net lease REITs to be able to uh, to conduct more sell leasebacks. So I think you're going to see more and more and more of that going forward. Let's transition a bit because you also mentioned earlier in the episode that you cover a lot of the dividend income space. Wanted to see if you had a thought or opinion on the JEPI ETF versus the the Schwab SEHD. I know they're in a lot of conversation right now. Any thoughts? Yeah. So we have been. Um, Moving into more ETF coverage uh, now. There's a there's a reason to that rhyme is uh, a rhyme to that reason is that 
uh, I am getting ready to announce my own ETF, ETF index. Now, again, I'm not distributing the ETF. Uh, I'm not a licensed uh, securities uh, broker, uh, but hopefully there'll be somebody who will distribute that. But we're, we've decided, uh, frankly, a lot, a lot of this is due to Seeking Alpha and just the, the, the followers, and, and they've all come to, many of them have come to us and asked us to put together various indexes. So we are launching our first in, REIT index uh, within days. And um, and so we felt like we want to cover that sector, not only just the REITs, but also just all of the dividend uh, ETFs. So that's one of the reasons that we've we've uh, enhanced our, our our coverage. We want to see you know what these companies look like and how they differ, how they're differentiated. Um, you know the levered the levered uh, ETFs. I mean, Jeppy is obviously you know pretty high yielding and and pretty appealing for investors. Um, I, I bought a few shares in Jeppy after we published that initial article. Um, I like Schwab a lot. I think Schwab is the uh, um, not only the company, but also the, I guess, the Bellwether ETF. Uh, that company is definitely more of a sleep well at night, kind of all in uh, dividend, uh, dividend focused ETF uh, platform. Um, I own that company because, again, I focus mostly on REITs. Uh, that's my core of competence. I can't cover all the dividend companies on the planet. So I think for, for, for certain investors who don't have the time or perhaps the expertise uh, or perhaps the money, uh, I, think, I think the Schwab ETF really makes a lot of sense. The JEPI, the JEPI uh, ETF is, is certainly uh, interesting, but uh, again, I think that's certainly got more risk that has to be taken in consideration. But, you know, I really like ETFs. And, you know, we also look very closely at the, at the fees. Um, there are there, you know, most of the ones that, that you know, that I like are, are passive uh, ETFs. Uh, the active funds get, you know, get fairly, get fairly expensive. Um, and so you, those have to be, certainly have more strategy that goes into place. Um, but uh, I, I think that's definitely uh, evolving. And frankly, Daniel, this kind of goes back to, you know, kind of back to seeking alpha. I think there are really two types of investors in the world today. There are the do-it-yourself investors. Uh, and that's largely, I think, the Seeking Alpha audience uh, that's listening to this and many others that uh, they, they like going into the Seeking Alpha platform, which is a terrific platform to uh, aggregate research and compare, you know, analyst notes. Um, there's just so much, so much valuable information uh, and data is, that's available. Uh, so that's the do-it-yourself investor DIY. The other, the other universe, the other, the other, uh, I guess, bucket, if you will, are the do it for you investors, and those are people that just wanted somebody else to do it for them, and that's where ETFs come in. It makes it really easy for those types of investors who just don't have, like I said, that maybe the time, the money, the expertise to build their own portfolios. So these ETFs come in really handy. So I'm really excited to, uh, you know, to be uh, involved in this ETF. Uh, world. And uh, we're definitely going to be ramping up our coverage. So uh, stay tuned for more. So to put you on the hot seat real quick, if, it, if an investor came to you right now and was like, I want to invest in one ETF, either JEPI or SCHD, which one would you pick for somebody new? Yeah, that is, that is a tough question. I, I love these tough questions, Daniel. You're very good. I can tell uh, you've done this before. So, you know, it, it's hard. I mean, it's, it really depends on the risk profile of that investor. Uh, I, as I said, I do own both. Uh, I've, I've just personally, I've overweighted SCHD because I am more risk averse. Uh, I just don't like a whole lot of leverage. Uh, and I think it really comes down to a conversation there. Um, 
But, um, you know, uh, it, it, again, it really depends on the risk profile of the individual investor. Um, you know, look, a lot of a lot of investors, and I see them every day on Seeking Alpha. They really, you know, want, they really are attracted to yield, and that's there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But, um, you know, I guess, you know, our 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 mantra at Wide Moat Research and our entire company is, you know, focusing on fundamentals, and uh, you know, and having uh, higher leverage is really uh, something that we we try to advise to stay away from. Look, anything that's yielding you know, 10% or higher, you've got to look really closely at that revenue stream. And, you know, I just published an article today on Seeking Alpha. Hopefully it'll be trending. Uh, but it is uh, um, it is on uh, dividend cuts. You know, why, I think the title of this article is why, you know, I avoid dividend cuts at all costs. And, um, you know, it really gets into the, some of the picks that we made where we recommended to stay away from a number of these you know, 10, 11, 12, 13% dividend, uh, dividend yields. And, um, and, and, and not that we've, you know, not that we've, uh, you know, we're, we're able to bat 400, um, but we've, we've been pretty successful there. So I think in terms of your, your answer, I would just, you know, warn investors, you know, when you get to those 10, 11, 12% yields or higher, just make sure that that's a sustainable business model. Cause that's at the end of the day, that's really what we're recommending are companies that are going to continue to, you know, sustain those dividends. And so I like, again, I like Schwab. It's for a more conservative investor. I think that's the way I would, I would go. Amazing. Thank you so much for giving us so much of your time today, Brad, and answering these questions. If people want to stay in touch with you, find you, where can they reach out? Sure. Well, uh, you're, we're seeking out for almost every single day. So that would be a great place to find me. Um, and, um, you know, I'm also on Twitter. We've been fairly active. I've been fairly active there. That's uh, R. Brad Thomas. Uh, and, uh, yeah, look forward to seeing anybody. And, and again, Daniel, I want to thank you for your for all the time you put into this and uh, uh, and, and seeking out as well. Uh, we really appreciate the collaboration and the partnership we have and look forward to uh, many, many years ahead. Yeah, we uh, we wish you continued success as well. And I'm just looking here, 427 five-star reviews on I Read on Alpha. I mean, you guys are definitely doing something right. So happy to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. We'll have you back on again and we'll talk to you next time. Just a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast should not be considered investment advice. At times myself or the guest, my own positions in the securities mentioned. But this is for entertainment purposes only and you should seek advice from a licensed professional before investing. If you enjoyed the episode, leave a rating or review on your favorite podcasting app, and we'll see you soon with a new episode.